Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Central, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. After Easter, we continue to celebrate our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus, through studying the book of Hebrews, a book that was more a written-down sermon than anything else. It was written by a pastor to a, a group of Jewish background Christians who were really struggling. Struggling with their faith, they were thinking about turning back, turning back to their old Judaism, turning back away from the Lord Jesus. And in order to encourage them, the pastor went right out of the gate and said, look at Jesus. Look at how glorious and powerful he is, Jesus, God in the flesh. Last week we saw that his authority is unparalleled. His voice of truth guides us in whatever we're facing. His voice of truth stands above every other voice that seeks to guide us and disciple us. He's sovereign, he's powerful. And this week, this section of chapter two, the pastor takes a little bit of a different direction. All that power is true, he says, but don't forget, O oh suffering one, that Jesus is fully man too. He's tender, he's kind, he understands how you feel. He may be powerful, but also with Jesus is an even greater mercy because have you ever considered that there is no trouble that you face that Jesus hasn't already walked through at first? And he says, walk with me and I'll get you through it. Let's pray as we turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Oh Lord, we ask that you would send the Spirit to open our eyes and our ears to your truth. Help us to behold Jesus here in your word. We ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we ask it, amen. Hebrews chapter two, beginning in verse five. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering." For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, 
but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the living and abiding word of God. Lord, you have the words of eternal life. What we call someone tells us something about our relationship with them. I'm Dr. Smith, and that means something depending on the relationship you have with me. Some of you have heard me tell the story before about when we moved back to St. Louis and my son Isaiah met a new friend in school. And this friend had heard that I was the new pastor here at Central, and he asked his new friend Isaiah, so is your dad a doctor? And Isaiah replied to his new friend, yeah, but he's not the kind of doctor that can help anybody. <laughs> and uh, Isaiah told me about this. I'm like, well, that's, that's not exactly how I'd put it, buddy. Um, but it depends on what kind of help you're expecting, what kind of relationship you have with this doctor determines what kind of help you're expecting. But what's a better name? If Isaiah and Emma are talking to me, the better name is dad. That determines what kind of help they're looking for out of somebody like me. What, how well do you think it would go over if I went home and said, now children, you're to call me Dr. Smith. How well do you think that would go? Probably not so hot. What do you call the Lord? What do you call the Lord on days when it's really difficult to follow him? When you're struggling and you look at the resources you have and you think, I'm out of strength. I don't have what it takes to follow Jesus where he's calling me to go right now. I don't have the resources to, 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 to honor him where he's asking me to honor him right now. What do you call him when you look at what you have and it's not enough? Thus far in our study of Hebrews, the pastor has presented Jesus as powerful and glorious and these are people who are struggling and they're thinking about giving up and he's presented Jesus as the one who has all the authority. He's powerful. He's, he's more glorious than all the angels. And the pastor says, look at Jesus, the glorious one. But now beginning in verse five, he turns. It's, it's almost like he pulled out his favorite Tom Petty album off the, off the shelf and he played his favorite song. At least it's one of my favorite Tom Petty songs. And it goes like this, but you don't know how it feels to be me. You don't know how it feels to be me. All that power is great. But I'm not sure that you know how it feels, how hard it is just to keep going. Of course, Jesus persevered. He's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He's, he's got all kinds of power. But in case you haven't noticed, I'm not. Pastor, in case you haven't noticed, I'm having a really hard time here. I can't keep going. I'm really not doing all that well. And all that talk about God's glory, it's really not helping. In fact, it's making it harder for me to put one foot in front of the other because I'm having a hard enough time keeping my head up looking at all that glory when the only energy I have is just to hang my head in shame, exhaustion. What do you have for me, pastor? The pastor says to weary people like them, 
Maybe to people like us, that glorious, powerful God, that's, that's not all of who Jesus is. He's, he's also fully man who took on flesh like yours and mine. He walked the road that you and I now walk with the same suffering, with all the, the persistent frailties that you and I have. The same road of weariness, even facing that shame of temptation. Jesus walked that same road And he knows precisely how hard it is because he came fully man, just like us. And in this text today, instead of calling on Jesus, the fully authoritative, powerful one, we find a few different names that we can call on him when we're in deep need of mercy. Because Jesus does know exactly what it's like to be you. What do we call him? Three names we find in this text. The first one is this. We find Jesus as the crowned sufferer. He's the crowned sufferer. And sometimes we don't think those words go together. Crowned sufferer, it sounds a little bit like the winning loser. And I suppose that's, that's a little bit of the pastor's point here. Because Jesus is the one who suffered He went through it. He went through all the suffering of this broken down world. And what he's saying is because Jesus went through all of this suffering, he walked through all of it and he lived. He survived. He went all the way through it and was crowned with life. He went all the way through it and survived and was crowned. And because he survived it, he went all the way through it, he can walk with you through all of your suffering too. He went all the way through it, and he can bring you all the way through it too. He's a crowned sufferer. Look at verse 5. He says, it's not to angels that the world has been subjected, but to, to us. It's to mankind. He quotes Psalm chapter 8 there, which itself is a meditation on Genesis 1. To how God made the, the earth and he's the glory and dignity of mankind. He says in verse 6, what is man? Verse 7, you've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. It's incredible. The story of humanity is of, of, of dignity and glory and where God intended us to be his royal governors of all that he's made. He put all of creation under our charge. We are his stewards And everything is under our feet, whether it's business or manufacturing or medicine or education or or, or construction or you name the industry, God put us as his vice regents to rule over this world on his behalf. And yet when we look at this world, we see it's not working all that well, is it? When we look at this world, verse 9 may be the understatement of all creation. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. It's because there's been a fall. It's because sin entered this world. The, the creation is coming apart because of all of our sin. It's at present, we don't see everything in subjection to humanity. In fact, the world is a mess. Not everything's in subjection. In fact, even our own lives aren't in subjection to us. I can't control my own tongue, much less the whole world. How about you? Can I get an amen? We have a hard time 
ruling this world for God. We can't do it, which is really interesting as the, the pastor here reads this Psalm chapter 8 through the lens of Jesus as the Son of Man. Jesus came as the perfect man fully man to be the kind of human being to be the one who could fulfill all the law who could do what we are unable to do Jesus is the one who fulfilled it all Jesus is the only one who lived in perfect righteousness but so verse 9 isn't just about us it's about Jesus we don't see everything in subjection to mankind but we do see Jesus We do see Jesus who came, who did bring everything in subjection to him, but it's a little bit upside down. He won by losing. He was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now that word taste there is not a nibble. That's not what the word means. It's not Jesus dipped his toe into death and then drew it back out. It means, the word means experienced. It means he went all the way in. He went all the way through. He's gone all the way into death and came out the other side crowned with glory and honor because he defeated it. Because he went all the way into death and came out alive, resurrected in victory over the worst of death. What that means is that Jesus knows every taste, every touch, every taint, every pain that death could throw at him, that death can throw at you. Jesus knows all of it. The pains of the body, the pains of the soul, Jesus has gone through it and he's able to proclaim victory over it because he endured and was crowned over it all. Jesus is able to walk you through whatever suffering you face in this life, in this busted up world, because he went through it and survived it. Perhaps you don't have to go through whatever suffering you endure right now and feel quite so alone or quite so afraid because Jesus went through it before you and he won. And he'll walk you through it right now too. What that means for you and for me right now is that Jesus knows that ache of betrayal in your life. That, that stab in your heart that makes you feel like you're going to die. Or that makes you feel like you want to die. The, the betrayal of someone maybe that you're really close to, somebody in your family. It hurts. It feels like death. Jesus knows what that feels like. He endured it. He experienced it. The pain that comes when someone really close to you twists your words so that they hurt you, Jesus knows what that feels like. The pain of character assassination, somebody gossips about you, slanders about you, twists you to try to make other people have doubt about you, Jesus knows exactly what that feels like, how bad that hurts. He knows that suffering. That the unique anguish of Watching someone that you love rush headlong into a disaster that you know is going to be awful for them. And when you try to talk to them about it, they they turn on you for telling the truth. The pain that you feel in your heart about that, Jesus knows what that feels like. He's been through that. He knows exactly what that feels like. He can walk with you through that. You're not alone in that feeling. That deep ache of feeling alienated feeling cut off 
from people in your life? Jesus knows all about that. On the cross, he was alienated from his heavenly father. When he bore our sins, he was cut off from his father. The, the, the deepest fellowship that, that creation has ever known. Jesus was cut off from it to bear our sin. He knows all deeply about what alienation feels like. And because he's done all of that, Jesus is able to bring you through whatever suffering, whatever taint of death you face, whatever taste of it is in your life, Jesus can walk you through it because he is a crowned sufferer. He's won the crown because he wore the crown of thorns, because he bore the curse on the cross for all of us and was raised in victory from the dead. He now bears the crown of life. Whatever suffering you face, Jesus has gone before you. And because he's been crowned victorious over that suffering and that death and that sin, he can bring you through it. He can walk with you through it. He's a crowned sufferer. Second, Jesus is a champion over our persistent enemies. The enemies that just won't give up. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their faith, founder of their salvation, perfect through suffering. That word translated founder there may read as something else if you have your Bible open. I think it's in the, in the King James that translates that word founder. It reads as captain. He's the captain of their salvation. In the New International Version, I think it's translated as champion. It's a word that, that means someone accomplishes something and other people get to share in the victory. Someone does something great. It's like a hero. Someone does something magnificent and something great and other people get to share in the victory that the other person won. Think back to the Old Testament when David went out to fight Goliath. You remember that, that the, the army of Israel was lined up on one ridge line and the army of the Philistines was lined up on the other ridge line and in between was the valley of Elah. And David and Goliath went down into that valley and they fought one-on-one, -on -one, remember? And David won that battle. And because David won that battle, the victory was over all the armies of the Philistines, David, as an individual, was the champion, and all the armies of the Philistines were, were defeated. That's what this word means. That's the idea of a champion. You know about it in, uh, in sports as well. When we think about baseball, when the cards win big, we might say, we are winning. But there's nobody in this room who's ever swung the bat for the Cardinals, Right? But we still are winning. Or, well, we're not winning much right now. But when we, in 2011, when we won the World Series, we say we won the World Series, right? The whole city experiences that victory because the men on the field won that game, right? Won that series. That's a champion. Or when my Mississippi State Bulldogs, Hale State, beat Ole Miss again this past week, uh, we say we dominated Ole Miss. And there were memes all over the internet this week that said the last time Ole Miss beat Mississippi State in a baseball series, all of these players that play right now, they were all in elementary school. 
we dominate Ole Miss. But it's right, cheer for the dogs, that's right, here you go. I promise nobody who typed one of those things on the internet ever played an inning of baseball for either one of those teams. But still, we won, right? That's a champion. Those, that victory was won by someone else, but we get to taste the victory. That's the word that the pastor uses here for Jesus' victory. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our, our captain of our salvation. Jesus won it, but we experience his victory. He has been made perfect or complete through suffering, through the suffering of the cross. What that means is the work of Jesus offers a complete victory over our sin, over death, even over the devil himself as Jesus went to the cross. What that means for you and for me, friends, is that Jesus entered into this world and he, went, he did intense uh, hand-to-hand personal combat with our sin and with flesh and the devil. He entered the enemy-occupied territory of your and my sin, and he battled all of it, and he has broken the devil's neck. He has defeated all of our sin. He has broken the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoners free. His blood makes the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. That's what the hymn writer says. Jesus is our champion. He has won the victory, but we all get to claim we won because Jesus is the one who fought for us. Jesus is the one who defeated the devil. Jesus is the one whose blood wipes us clean. And so whenever you're living in that place, of struggling to feel like there's anything in your life in subject to Jesus. Maybe your thoughts are just running out of control. Your fears are everywhere and you just can't seem to get a hold of them. Your fears are dominating your life or, or maybe like me sometimes your, your tongue is just running out of control. You just, it's just, you just can't get a hold of it. Or maybe your selfishness is out of control. It's me, me, me all the time. Your self-advancement is just all over the place. What do you do? You look to your champion. Jesus who's won the victory over your sin. Your guilt is cleansed. The power of your sin has been snapped. Jesus has won and you are the one who gets to say, Jesus fought it, but I won. There's victory over this right now. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will empower you in the very place where you are weak where you are tempted, where you have no strength left, the Lord Jesus will enable you to say yes to godliness and no to sin. Not because of the power in you, but because Jesus is your champion. Look at verse 18. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We've given in time and time and time again. We give in and it's so easy for us to imagine Jesus in heaven with his arms crossed, tapping his foot, shaking his head, just disgusted. Just thinking, again, Clay? Again? Really? 
after all that I've done for you, this is how you're gonna treat me? It's so easy for us to envision that kind of Jesus, but that's not who he is. That's not what the scriptures present this Jesus. That's not his name. We call on one who has been tempted himself and he helps us when we are tempted. He's not disgusted with you. He's not annoyed with you. He's your champion. He's like a parent on the playground. When your child is doing something really dumb on the playground, using equipment like they shouldn't use it and they fall off and they get hurt and your first thought as a parent isn't again. Really? Your first thought as a parent is to rush to your child's side and find out if they're harmed. That's Jesus' first thought. That's Jesus' impulse, is to come to you as your rescuer, as your savior, as the one who loves you dearly, is to come to your aid to help. In fact, your sin, your need, draws your savior even closer When you're tempted, call out to the one who is your champion, who is victorious, and say, Jesus, because you have won, will you walk even closer with me and enable me to walk in your victory over my sin? Jesus is your champion, and it draws him close. He's not disgusted. He's not annoyed. He's triumphant in you and for you and with you. And third and finally, he is our brother who's not ashamed of us. He's our brother who is not ashamed of us. Back in 2021, there was a show, a TV show in Britain, and the name of this show was, Who Do You Think You Are? And it was a a genealogy show. And it was uh, one of those where they would do genealogy tests and see who you might be related to. And there was one episode in this show where uh, the tests were, might you be related to one of the royals? It's an interesting show. They had a few guests on there and there were some famous people, TV stars, and might you be related to one of the royals? And one person was distant and, and then another person who thought that they really were turned out to be not. And then there was a normal everyday guy on there and his name is Josh. And they did all these tests on Josh and Josh ended up being a living descendant of King Edward I Longshanks of Scotland. One of the Plantagenets of whom the House of Windsor comes from the Plantagenets, of whom King Charles III being coronated on Saturday is a descendant of King Edward I. They're of the same stock. They're from the same clan, we might say. But what's Josh going to do about it? Imagine, is there any kind of scenario where Josh has a claim on the royal crown? I mean, really, think about it. I, I can't imagine any scenario. Think about on Saturday, May 6th, King Charles is there in Westminster Abbey. He's being crowned. And can you imagine if King Charles were to stand and say, I call forth my distant brother, Josh, to take his place alongside his family. I am not ashamed to call Duke Josh my brother. Can anyone imagine something like that happening? No, it's ridiculous. Josh is not going to be called out from the crowd, which is why 
Verse 11 is so dumbfounding. Jesus does call us out from the crowd, from the throne of heaven. He says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, or we could understand it, all are of one. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. To sanctify means to make holy. It's, he's speaking of a theological language, definitive sanctification here. Setting apart a people in holiness for Christ. And in the book of Hebrews, it is Jesus is the one who does the sanctifying. He's our high priest. And we, his unholy people, are the ones who are sanctified. And it says we all have one source. We all are of one. He's meaning we're all joined together in a common humanity. Jesus, verse 14, took on flesh and blood like we his children. He took on flesh like us, meaning we're all of the same stock. We're all of the same clan. We've been joined together in common humanity. We're all the same. He took on flesh like us, and he's made us holy like him. We have all been made one. And he presents us holy before God. That's why he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. We're joined to Jesus. We are united to Jesus. He's taken on flesh so he's like us, and he's made us holy just like he is. And so from the throne of heaven, he calls out to Josh and Jenny and Bill and Sally and Jim and, and Florence and all of us as his dearly loved children. On his coronation day, the last day, he's calling all of us, people who don't belong by our own right, he's calling us up to the throne because he's not ashamed of us. We've been made like him because we're of the same stock. We're of the same clan, and he's made us holy. You might be ashamed of you. The truth is, I might be ashamed of you, and you might be ashamed of me, but Jesus has made propitiation. That's a big theological word that means the righteous wrath of God for all of our sin has been appeased. It's been set aside. That's what the cross was all about. All of our sin that would make a holy God ashamed of us has been set aside. It's been appeased. It's been, all that judgment has been exhausted because the blood of Christ is sufficient for all of it. All of those things that would make a holy God ashamed to stand in our presence, it's all been laid aside and covered by the blood of Jesus. And we've been made holy by the blood of Christ. And from the throne, he's going to say, welcome home. Is that not incredible? Being welcomed by King Charles is nothing. You're gonna be welcomed by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who is not ashamed of you. I'll tell you the truth. There are things about my life of which I am deeply, deeply ashamed. There are probably things about your life of which you are deeply ashamed and we have in common that we both hope nobody ever finds out about them. Jesus knows and he's not ashamed because his blood has cleansed them.
That's the one to whom we call out when we realize we're not enough, when we're weary, when we just hang our heads and say, I can't keep going, Jesus. He's the lifter of our heads to say, I'm not ashamed of you because I have cleansed you and you're my dear, dear child. He's the one who says, keep going. Keep going with me because I'm walking every step with you. When you call out to God, who do you call out to? God of glory, yes. God of power, absolutely. But don't forget, he's also the one who is crowned with suffering and he's able to bring you through yours. He's the champion, champion over all kinds of temptations that can seem impossible to resist. The temptations that make you hang your head in shame. He's your champion. He's also your brother who's made atonement. And he's never ashamed to call you brother and sister. God came down to walk in greater mercy with people like us and welcome us home. Let's pray. Lord, we are astounded that not only are you fully God in power and glory and might, but you came and took on flesh and became fully man, that you might walk in tenderness and understanding and compassion with a broken down, busted up people like us. So Lord, lift our heads that we might see not only the king of glory, but the king of grace come for people like us. And we ask that you would make us a tender-hearted people toward one another, kind and compassionate as your people toward one another. Shape us with your heart for you and for one another, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.